What's up everybody, Tara Wellman here, back at you again with a series preview as the Colorado Rockies come to town, fresh off of signing one Matt Holiday to a minor league deal. Maybe we'll see Matt back in the big leagues sometime soon. Now the Colorado Rockies have won or split, those two game sets are always a little weird, every series in July. That's included the likes of the Diamondbacks, the Astros, the suddenly hot A's, and they're doing it with consistently deep starting pitching and consistently, well, powerful Nolan Arenado and a few friends. But while the Rockies are genuine contenders in the NL West, the Cardinals are desperately clinging to hope for a miracle run, while in reality making some moves to set them up for next year. Greg Holland and Tyler Lyons are gone. Brett Cecil is back on the DL. Daniel Ponce de Leon and Austin Gomber and Dakota Hudson have arrived with style. And as of late Saturday night, Luke Voigt is a Yankee. And the changes might not be done yet. For the Rockies, though, their eyes are firmly planted on the postseason. And today, I am thrilled to be joined by a woman who has seen them through it all. Jenny Kavnar is the host of the Rockies pregame report and the Toyota postgame show. And in case you've been living under a rock this baseball season, she also had the very unique, very cool privilege of being one of very few women to do play-by-play -play on a regional broadcast of a game earlier this year. Needless to say, I was pretty pumped to get her on the show. Well, Jenny, first of all, thank you so much for taking a little bit of time in what I'm sure is a, a very busy day in and of itself, but I'm very glad that you could uh, join me and talk a little Rockies baseball. So how, uh, how is Colorado in July? <laughs> oh my gosh, it has been hot. There's no doubt about that. Uh, hot because the way this team is playing, for sure, and then hot with the weather. You, you never know what you're going to get in Colorado. We say that every year going into the season, and everyone around the country thinks like, oh, we play at Coors Field in April, it's going to snow. You play in May, it's going to snow. I mean, sometimes that is true, yes, but gosh, the heat has been crazy. It's just been, you know, high 90s. It's finally cooled off a little bit, and we haven't had too many of those thunderstorms for rain delays, so that's a good thing. Yeah, I'm. Uh, so I'm originally a mountain girl myself. Grew up in uh, in Park City, Utah. So oh, yes. I'm, I'm very you know. familiar with the the inconsistent weather. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it is. But I can't complain to all the St. Louis oh, fans course. who are just dying in the humidity. So yeah. the humidity is a game changer for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one of the great things I think about what you're able to do in, in sort of regional sports television is that you're around this team all the time. Yeah. You get to see them every night. You get to talk about the same storylines and, and follow them through the, the crazy highs of a season and through some of the slumps. What kind of stands out for you as you think about this season so far is, is what might be the most telling um, or, or the, the biggest impact that this team has had so far this year? Yeah, you know what, Tara, I think really it's there were so many expectations around this team coming into this year. You know, they went to the playoffs for the first time last season since 2009. They lost to Arizona in that wild card game. Um, they have a lot of talent. They have a lot of young pitching talent. And then all of a sudden you go out and spend the most money, not just in franchise history, but in major league history on a bullpen in Denver, Colorado. I mean, that was crazy in and of itself. And they've just underperformed out there. You know, it's been really baffling. The start of the year was was uh, no offense from the Colorado Rockies, which you can always seem to count on year in and year out. Uh, just, it just wasn't there, but the pitching was there. And then it flip-flopped, and the offense finally came around, and the pitching was struggling, and the bullpen was struggling. And all of a sudden, you know, you're like, who is this team? Where are they going? And boom, 
mid-July, even actually late June, I would say, they clicked. They clicked on the road. I would go back to a DJ LeMahieu walk-off home run. It wasn't walk-off because they were on the road, but, you know, late-ending home run in San Francisco. And all of a sudden, they went on a tear, and this team has been playing really good, consistent baseball on all three facets of the game. Their defense has been there all year, but the pitching staff – uh, the offense. And again, they had a slow start at home. You can usually count on an over 500 record at Coors Field, and they've just now started to float around 500. So uh, luckily they had good road play early. And I think the way things are evening out, it looks great for a run at the playoffs because last year they had such a hot start. And really August, those dog days came and they started slumping and they barely made it in. So I think this year, if they got that slump out of the way early and they play as consistent as they have, it's going to be a really fun couple months. You mentioned playing at home. A lot of people like to talk about the Coors Field effect. And in in a lot of ways, I think people outside of Colorado sort of use it as a bit of an asterisk on good offensive numbers or even on, you know, some trouble for a pitching staff at times. What do you make of this whole Coors Field effect and, and how much it really should play into the way that we think about and analyze the Colorado Rockies? Yeah, listen, there's two things for sure. I think everyone wants to jump to the conclusion that you play at altitude, the ball's going to fly, those offensive numbers are skewed. To me, I credit these guys more because altitude, as you know, being you know from a mountain time zone, is something that you have to acclimate to. So when this team is at home, you know they're quote unquote acclimated to it. Then you go on the road, especially if you're going to the West Coast, you're going to sea level, which they often do in the division. And then you come back. Now you're only here for seven days on your homestand, but it's taking you three or four days to get acclimated. Um, I heard Adam Adovino talking about it the other day on MLB Network and just saying, as a pitcher, I'm really sore game one, two, possibly even three of a homestand. And then I'm cruising and I'm like, all right, I'm back. And then we go on the road and that Mm -hmm. pattern starts all over. So it's for the entire season. You think about playing defense, Coors Field, especially the outfield, huge. You have a lot of space to cover and you're trying to recover at altitude. I think they have to give these guys a lot more credit. It's not just easy of like see ball, hit ball. It flies out of the ballpark all the time. Um, There's been a lot of lower scoring games here this year too, which is interesting. But I really credit that to the pitching staff. So if everyone out there wants to make a huge deal about hitting numbers and how you should put an asterisk on it because it's at Coors Field. Um, then you should be giving pitchers a ton more credit if their ERA and Kyle Freeland's ERA is around a three and this is his home ballpark. So all of a sudden, what are you going to shave a point off? And he really has a two ERA. Um, I, I just, I just think people make way too much out of it. I absolutely agree. And I, I think it's fascinating that you brought up the, the altitude part of that. Cause I don't think people really take that, um, into consideration, especially people who've never really tried to make that adjustment right. yeah. uh, to doing anything in the altitude, but that's, that's certainly a factor there. Let's talk a little bit about this pitching staff, because as you mentioned, it's been great, especially as of late, uh, the starting rotation has been one of the best in baseball. There's been some weird moments with that bullpen. We'll talk a little bit about, uh, O coming over in the trade, but yep. as you look at this, pitching staff, especially the starting pitching that has kind of set the tone. What does it seem to be that's making that difference? Because it is a bit unusual for the pitching to be that good this late in the season for for pitchers in Colorado. Yeah, you're right. For pitchers in Colorado, and then you add on the youth factor. Yeah. You know, there's a couple guys that are going through their sophomore seasons. And so I think a lot of people set out, even going into the year, talking about, oh, are we going to see sophomore slumps? Because they had some hot seasons out of rookie pitchers last year. Um, but I think those guys really took that 
kind of personally and have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder and said, no, that wasn't a fluke. Like we're good pitchers. And they've really been preaching over the last couple of years. I mean, I'll go past the Bud Black era and just start in the Walt Weiss era. I mean, he's a guy that played baseball here, wanted to change the mentality, brought in pitching coaches that would do that. They don't like to talk about altitude. They don't like to talk about, you know, the mental effects of that, that it has on a pitcher. They just like to have pitchers that are tough and competitive. And we've seen that out of this staff for sure. And I think that competition bleeds not just in between the lines, but throughout that group of five as they rotate. You know, if one guy goes out there and throws seven shutout innings, especially at home, the next night, you better expect to compete with the guy that went before you. And it's cool that they have that internal competition because they really do push each other. And I think it's made a lot of them, you know, better in and, in and of itself. They were one of the last teams to have the original starting five until Chad Bettis had to go on the DL and they brought up Antonio Sensatella. Um, you know, the Houston Astros, the only team with their original starting five this year. And we know what that starting five is. They're the best in baseball. And I think with the Rockies facing them um, earlier last week, you saw these young guys look over and be like, wow, that's legit every day when you're talking about being able to rely on a guy. And I think they're starting to feel that in the clubhouse, you know, for the position players, they're starting to look at their, their starting rotation and say, cool. Like we can rely on these guys, you know, it's not just, Oh, what are we going to get today? Which there, there've been moments of that in years past. Um, so I think that's a really cool mentality to have. And, you know, again, I think the big names out in the bullpen, there's way too much talent and way too much experience. I, what's happened to me is an absolute fluke. Um, because again, you just, you look at the depth and you get to say that can't happen. Those guys can't have that bad of an ERA as we head down the stretch. And you really feel like things are going to turn for them eventually. But yeah, I think July in and of itself, it looks like it's going to be a historic marker in franchise history for the pitcher's ERA at home. We're talking a sub two at Coors Field for a starting staff. Isn't that nuts? <laughs> I mean, I kept looking, like I keep calculating the numbers after every start going, is this real? Like, is this for <laughs> real, for real? And it is. And the cool thing is, if you look at the opponents, every team is above 500. They're all really good baseball teams. It's not like you're playing the bottom half of the division. Yeah, that's huge. I know. So the Cardinals... Cardinals have had a weird season. Um, they've had yeah. a weird couple of years. And, you know, for a while, they looked like their pitching was going to be their strength. And they, they hit some injuries that have, have made it complicated. In fact, um, out of the All-Star break, coming into uh, this weekend, I believe the Cardinals had used... 18 or 19 different pitchers since the all-star break. That's, That's the kind of turnover. It's it's wild. It's been crazy. Yeah. So having that stability, um, I think you can see in the way that the Cardinals season has gone, <laughs> there hasn't been a lot of consistency. A lot of that seems to stem from a pitching staff. Now, you mentioned the Rockies put a lot of money into the bullpen. Then yeah. the latest addition is someone that Cardinals fans are very familiar with, someone yes. O coming over, along with maybe the the most important addition for many people, his interpreter, Eugene Koo, who <laughs> has a bit of a, a crazy following in St. Louis, um, just because he seems like the coolest guy ever and may actually have the best job that has ever existed to just travel with a major league team and hang out in the dugout and go out to the mound occasionally. Right. <laughs> um, he's, he's, a, he's, he's a fascinating character, that Eugene Koo. But someone oh comes in as a guy with a track record. Um, he had a little bit of a, a rough go in his second year with the Cardinals, but he comes in as a bit of a fly ball pitcher when he doesn't get the strikeout. Is that concerning in Colorado? You know, of course, I think you look at just those flat statistics and, and what they could be in a ballpark like this and wonder, but 
I would say, you know, I'd have to go look at the stats of what Wade Davis has done this year, but I've seen some fly balls off the bat for Wade <laughs> Davis, and that's your closer, you know. I, I think anytime you're talking about a pitcher um, in those positions, in those late innings especially, you have to be careful. But what the Rockies see in O, and, and one of the reasons for going out to get him at this point, is just to provide a little depth down there and some versatility, right? I mean, this is a guy that could pitch the middle innings for you. It's a guy that could be 7th, 8th, and even ninth. He's still the all-time saves leader, right? over in Korea. And so you look at experience and I think that's what they're trying to round out as they head towards hopefully a postseason push is just one more veteran arm in there um, that's been in high leverage situations that can get the job done. And, um, you know, well, it'll be really interesting to see at Coors Field, you're exactly right, what that effect has. But Bud Black said um, just a couple years ago when he was with the Cardinals that he caught his eye because of the fact of the movement that he has on his fastball. And I think, you know, having a pitching mind for Bud Black and then having two really great pitching coaches, I think as a staff, they feel or they see something there that they could really utilize. So it'll be interesting again to see once he actually steps on the mound at Coors Field, the effect of that. Now, I asked uh, for some questions about this series on Twitter. One of those questions was about the ninth inning for the Rockies. Um, you mentioned Wade Davis, obviously a guy with, with exceptional experience, but you also have Adam Ottavino, who has been fascinating to watch this year. I'm sort of fascinated by the way that he's kind of taken control of his career and, and made himself into the pitcher that he wants to be. Another guy that actually uh, has some history with the Cardinals. Exactly. made a, yeah. a handful of major league appearances back in like 2010, I think. Um, but it's been fascinating watching him um, sort of create this career for himself by the way that he's able to, uh, to really work at his craft. But you have those two guys really in the back end. Now you add Owen to that mix. Um, the question that I got was essentially, if it comes down to it and you need somebody to get those three outs, who are you most confident in right now? You know, it's a very interesting question because I think Wade Davis has so much experience, you know, when you look at what he's able to do. Um, but the way Adam Adovino is pitching right now, I feel like there is just, he's unstoppable. You mentioned it, right? Recreating yourself. He had the worst year last year. He'd be the first one to tell you that. And he knows his slider can play. Obviously, we, we've seen that thing just disappear a couple of years ago and no one could hit off of it. He not only reinvented himself and went back to some basics, he added two different sliders to that already crazy mix of what might he had. Might as well, right? Yeah, you might as well just, if you're going to be try to be the best, going from the worst right. to the best, you might as well just go all in. And he definitely did that, and a huge credit to him um, coming back this year. There's so much confidence in Adam right now. I think he has it, the bullpen has it for him. There's confidence in Wade Davis, too. I mean, this is what the guy's done, and he's been really good at the last couple of years. So I think, again, versatility is going to show, and depth is going to show, and ego, having not having Nego is really going to play into it because Adam out of, you know, on any other team should be the closer, you know, with his stuff. Um, and Wade Davis, he might have to, they might have to flip flop roles at some point this season to be determined. But for now, you know, I think when you talk about roles, Wade Davis is your closer, Adam Adovino is your eighth inning guy. And then, yes, I think O fills in depending on matchups, depending on ballparks um, to possibly that seventh inning mix. However, you also, the way they've been really pitching, the way the starters have been pitching well and giving you depth into that seventh inning, you've really just needed two guys in the eighth and ninth, which is great. And they've been able to go out of, you know, Davis, or if Davis is down, move out of, you know, over and then possibly O can slot into that spot. So that's where depth really comes into play and helps you out this time of year. 
Yeah, especially when you have a, a bullpen where not everybody's clicking um, all at the right. same time, which yep. is not unusual. It's kind of a bullpen thing. <laughs> um, if you've got eight, actually, I think I read a, a Bud Black quote the other day. I was talking about, you know, if you have eight guys down there, ideally you have six of them <laughs> who are all pitching well at the same time. But That's you don't exactly. always have that luxury. Um, no. So it's nice when you're uh, when your starters kind of pick up the slack and, and pick up some of those innings. Let's talk a little bit of offense. Um, I mean, you've got guys like Charlie Blackman, Nolan Arenado, Trevor Story, Gomez, the, the guys that should be really fun to watch all the time mm-hmm. um, and can certainly provide some fireworks when it's necessary. Uh, Arenado hit just recently his 100th career home run at Coors Field. Um, Charlie Blackman had a walk-off the other day. I mean, these guys, they have – like I said, a lot of pop. There are a lot of fireworks that can happen there. But if you look at this offense as a whole, what's the key for it? Is there a spark that maybe isn't as obvious or is it really just those key guys? You know, it's interesting. Their spark is actually on the disabled list right now and DJ LeMahieu. And you talk about a guy that's been so consistent over the last couple of years. And when Charlie was hitting leadoff the last few years, DJ really took ownership of that two-hole spot. And those two are such a great combination because you talk about setting the table, an opportunity to get one or two of them on. And then you have Nolan Arenado, you have Carlos Gonzalez, you have Trevor Story and the likes coming up. And boom, you're right. This, this offense from top to bottom can be pretty deep. Um, but with DJ going on, Charlie's now slotted back in the leadoff spot. And luckily he has plenty of experience there. And, um, you're trying to figure out that two hole hitter now. And it's Benny and Desmond a little bit. It's been Para a little bit. And luckily their bats have come along. They both had some slow starts to the season. You know, Ian Desmond, um, has, I think, didn't have a great year last year, definitely underperformed to his standards and to the fan standards. And he's finally started to come around. So, you know, just as Bud Black was talking about in the bullpen, how you want to have at least six of your eight guys pitching well in your lineup, you need to have five or six guys really stringing together the hits. And that's why I think the offense had such a slow start because it was one or two guys every night, but you weren't able to get through that lineup to bridge the gap to get to the bottom. So as of late, you've kind of seen a different hero every night. You've seen some guys pad their stats lately. Um, you know, when you talk about Nolan, this guy's become a superstar in the game and we're finally glad the secret's out because stuck here in the mountain time zone is the only team it felt for those first couple of years of his career, he was often overlooked, but I think, um, I can confidently say he's the best third baseman I've ever seen. And I know he'll go down as one of that in this era of the game. Um, he wins a gold glove every year. His bat is always there. He can hit home runs. Um, but he's really smart player and you're talking about numbers that he could go for the triple crown this year. I mean, he really could. We could be talking about it uh, come September. You know, we're talking often about a batting title champ coming out of Colorado. And uh, now we're talking about that possibly for Nolan. He's as an exciting of a player to watch as I've ever seen. Well, I can tell you that he's not been overlooked in St. Louis, at least in recent years. In fact, <laughs> yes, exactly. often when it comes up as far as uh, the Cardinals may be targeting somebody that could be that that core uh, middle of the lineup guy, uh, <laughs> his name comes up often. Not that uh, there's ever been a particularly strong indication that uh, Colorado's interested in moving him uh, for good reason. But in fact, when I asked for questions um, for this conversation on Twitter, a lot of them had to do with Arenado and, you know, if they could just kind of casually let him stay in St. Louis after the series. <laughs> 
just casually right. it happens around yeah. trade deadline. Right. It's exactly. very convenient. <laughs> it all works uh, out. <laughs> I think Rockies fans might have a few things yeah. to say. Yeah, that, um, but the other that's true. Uh, the other side of that, though, is that I did get a lot of questions about uh, sort of trade options and what mm. the Rockies might be looking for. Um, the Cardinals are in a weird situation this year, where for the first time in a long time, they may not ever call themselves sellers uh, because John Mozeliak just doesn't like to do that. Um, sure. But they're they're not they're not in the market for making moves for twenty eight at this point they're looking beyond that so if there was a, a a need that the Rockies had at this point what do you think they might be looking for as we get ever closer to that trade deadline and the the rest of the season I think you can never have enough arms you know as great as the starting rotation has been they are still young and you're right the Rockies played altitude and we've talked about the effects of that so if there is a big name starter out there and it's the right move for the Rockies I think they're in a great position right now to be big bang buyers, so to speak. Because last year, they made a couple moves. They got Jonathan Lucroy, they got Pat Neshek, and now you're talking about, oh, okay. Like, those are helpful pieces, and the Rockies were floating around the division, but LA had already taken off with it. They weren't going to win the NL West last year. They were just trying to get in the wild card. This year, sitting as we're approaching trade deadline, you're just talking about a couple games out. You have a chance to make a big move, and I think if the right piece is out there to help them, um, and it's the you know the right move, they have some depth in their farm system that they could probably get away with. Um, you also are talking about interesting contracts coming up. DJ LeMay, who's in his final year. Adam Adovino's in his final year. They locked up Charlie Blackman to a long-term deal. Um, but you have Nolan, and he's up after next year. What are you going to do with him? Are you going to make a big push? There's a lot of interesting you know, um, financial pieces to this. And But at the same time, if this is your window with this group of guys that you've worked so hard with, I'm not the general manager, but I would be all in for sure to go get that big arm to help them um, in the rotation and just, again, have that superstar ace that with a young group of guys you're just not going to have right now. Yeah, I think that veteran presence in the rotation is is so valuable. I was actually having this conversation about the Cardinals the other day because they do. <laughs> if there's one thing that the Cardinals have, it's a lot of pitching depth uh, through yes. their minor league system, and that's actually come into play. As I mentioned, they've used a lot of those arms uh, yeah. just since the All Star break, um, and they've had to. They've absolutely needed all of them. But you know, if they're in a position to sort of build towards 2019 or beyond, um, that seems to be the area that they have the most depth in. But if they're looking at this rotation to add to it, that that veteran piece seems to be what they're missing um, as far as their pitching is concerned as well. So uh, this time of year always presents some really interesting interesting storylines to follow. Um, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but before I let you go, I did want to say um, so. For anyone who hasn't uh, <laughs> been paying attention, uh, the game that you called earlier this year, the Fire Up the Fountains home run call, which is now a t-shirt, I see. That it was pretty was. cool. Yeah. Was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> now that you have had a little bit of space between that experience uh, and where we are now, um, looking back on it, what stands out the most from that experience and, and the opportunity that night? 
Yeah, you know, it happens so fast. It's something uh, we as a group here in Colorado have been talking about for a while. You know, our play-by-play guy is so good and just takes off a handful of games. And so we were like, well, how can the group we currently have kind of fill in for, for his absence on those few games? And it came about that we wanted to try doing an analyst-only broadcast and see how that went. And that was a lot of fun. During spring training, they gave me the opportunity to call a game. Um, so I knew it was on the horizon, but it happened pretty fast. I found out on a Sunday morning I was going to be calling the game Monday night. <laughs> and um, I didn't have too much time to think, which I guess is probably a good thing. Just rely on uh, the fact that, you know, your experience has brought you to this point and, you know, television, you know, baseball. So here's uh, three, three and a half hours. Go for it. And um, it was it was fun. It was a ton of fun to be with our analysts. Um, I think I think that's what I take out of it most from the work side is we have such a great group of people. And I had a ton of fun getting to just talk baseball from and see their perspective of how they watch a game. Um, you know, doing the pre and post game show, you kind of get into your own routine around around a baseball game. But to be in the game, to be in every pitch. Um, was really cool. So I've called four games this season, and there might be the possibility for one more to come. Um, every time is a learning opportunity, and I think the more you do something, the more comfortable you get. You get in your routine. You know, I, again, I have such a routine when I do sidelines or when I do the pre-post game show, but um, not having a routine calling a game has been a really interesting. You just kind of feel in no man's land, like. One game, I went way too far in the rabbit hole on digging and uh, researching some stats that our stack guy was just handing me before I could even find where I wrote that note that night. And I was like, oh, yeah, I don't I don't need to go there. Like, OK, let me overtell stories. Let me go down that road and talk to players. And um, so it's just, again, finding that balance of how you prepare uh, for that night. Um, but baseball, that's the best thing about it, right? It, one game's done, the next day you have another one, and you kind of start all over. You build on that last game. So, um, yeah, hopefully there's a few more opportunities, and uh, it was just a ton of fun. Well, it was, like I said earlier, it's, it's been fun to watch that story over the course of the season. And, man, i got to get a hold of one of those T-shirts somehow, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> Man, I'm sure they're on eBay floating there you around go. for there free. You go. There you go. Well, I will let you get back to your day. I know you've got a show coming up here in a little bit, um, and we will see what the Cardinals and the Rockies have in store for us as we finish up July, which is mind-boggling to me, yes, and, and head into August. Here, yeah. Right? The dog days are here. Always goes by so fast. But thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you. Isn't she just the best? I'm so grateful that she took time to uh, to talk with me and with you today about the Rockies. And not to dive too far off the deep end here, but I just want to say, truly, we're all so lucky to have someone like Jenny in the baseball world who is kind and passionate and committed to just doing her job well. And it's so great to see her rewarded for that. And personally, I'm grateful for her and for other women like her who've been brave enough to just not care about the critics, but to push forward, hone their craft, do what they love, invest themselves in the game and in the industry, surrounded by people who believe in their efforts. And, you know, it gives little girls like I once was something or someone rather to look up to and aspire to as they follow their own dreams, should that be in sports broadcasting or not. So Jenny... Thank you sincerely for joining me today from the studio and for just being you, because it's awesome. (laughs) But back to the baseball. The Cardinals, fresh off of a flurry of changes, like I mentioned, as well as a series win against the division-leading Cubs, will match up against the Rockies on the mound as follows. Game one will be Tyler Anderson against Carlos Martinez. Anderson has surrendered just four earned runs in the month of July, while Carlos Martinez 
well, missed his last start with an oblique strain. Game two is John Gray against Jack Flaherty. Now, Gray pitched last on Wednesday and held the Houston Astros to just one hit in seven innings of work. Game three is Kyle Freeland taking on Luke Weaver. Weaver, of course, picked up his very first win against the Chicago Cubs over the weekend. Freeland, as Jenny mentioned, actually has a better home ERA than he does on the road. And then to wrap it up, it'll be Antonio Senzatella for the Rocks against Miles Michaelis for the Cardinals. Now, Senzatella moved into the Rockies rotation on July 3rd and has been part of, as I mentioned, one of the best rotations in the National League since then. So, the Rockies sit just outside the postseason picture right now, but can they stay hot? And might Mike Schilt's squad have a late-season push in them yet? We're about to find out. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for watching and listening and subscribing. Make sure you check it all out at Birds on the Black, and I'll see you next time.